Hello, everyone. It's Phil Brandt, and I'm ready for another This Week at Work adventure. This Week at Work is the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone featuring experts in human resources and employment law to bring you practical, timely, and accurate insights so you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, August 3rd, episode 242. Today, we have a difficult conversation with Phil Mario, who's coming to us from the Missouri SHRM Conference at Lake of the Ozarks. And what would Phil Mario be without his lawyer brother, Luigi Burt, an expert at keeping you from getting backed up with sewage? Get it? These two team up to make sure you are HR all-stars when it comes to preparing for and documenting difficult conversations at work. So now we step to the mic, but understand the mic is yours too. All this and more on This Week at Work. Welcome back, everybody. We're happy to have you on This Week at Work. And to all of our new friends down in Florida, we're happy to have you joining the program. We're looking forward to seeing you later this month at your SHRM conference in the state of Florida. Today, I'm coming from Lake of the Ozarks, which is in the center of the state of Missouri, where we're having the Missouri State SHRM conference. Uh, Bert, I got to tell you, I've been out on the... Uh, the event floor, and first thing I did is I ran into your friends and coworkers, uh, Portia and Debbie, and they have a fantastic booth set up. I did a little shopping in your booth there, Bird. I don't know if you can see that, the Ogletree Deacons uh, team uh, representing, and there are some really good lakeside fun gives away, giveaways there. There's a little cool fan. It kind of helps keep you cool. It lights up, and it actually says, I don't know if you can see it, employers, and lawyers working together, how clever. You must have thought of that yourself, Bert. Uh, there's a sunglass holder and a keychain um, to go with it, all in a waterproof bag, sporting Ogletree Deacons. Bert, your team's done a great job. Thank you, uh, Phil. Phil, pulling out all those tchotchkes, I was thinking, are, are you gonna break into a Carrot Top routine? I don't know if Carrot Top is playing the Ozarks, or maybe Paul Rubens. We should uh, honor Paul Rubens a little uh, bit. He passed away. Right? Oh, yeah. No, Paul Rubens. I grew up loving Pee Wee Herman. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we've all done the, the Pee Wee Herman dance, you know. Uh, so we've had a lot of fun. We're uh, we're sporting our uh, our HR superhero shirts today. We got a Mario theme going on, uh, obviously, as you've seen. But, Bert, I'm ready to get into Lawyer on the Clock. How about you? That sounds great, Phil. Let's run it. All right, Nick, let's run. Lawyer on the Clock. All right, it's time to look into what's trending in employment law. Lawyer, you're on the clock. It's been a couple uh, weeks since I've been on the program because of work obligations. But one I don't want to miss is that the Senate confirmed uh, a, a nominee, Kalpana Katagal, to be one of the commissioners at the EEOC. And this is fairly significant because... This marks the first time during the Biden presidency that the Democrats have a majority of the commissioner seats at the EEOC. A couple of weeks ago, the Senate voted 49 to 47 to co confirm Katagal. Uh, she's a civil rights and employment attorney at a firm called Cone Milstein in Washington, D.C. And again, with her becoming the fifth commissioner at the agency, I think we are really going to see the EEOC start to get active. Uh, thus far in the Biden presidency, it's really largely been the Department of Labor and certainly the NLRB that has been very active. Uh, the EOC has actually been fairly quiet during, 
during the Biden presidency. But now with them having the majority uh, at the EOC, I think we're going to see the, the EOC become very activist. And interestingly, Katagal, uh, is, is her home state is West Virginia. Uh, the only Democrat to vote against her nomination was Senator Joe Manchin. And he said that uh, ultimately Who represents West Virginia. <laughs> yep. And he said he did not support her because uh, the EOC should remain as free as possible of partisan ideologies when making when making important decisions for America's workers and businesses. Uh, her confirmation really marked uh, the end of a lengthy process to establish the Democrat majority on the on the commission. And with a full slate of members, it will really focus on prioritizing artificial intelligence bias and enforcement of pregnancy discrimination laws and tackle a, a much more uh, liberal or progressive policy uh, goal. And so um, I think people need to buckle up for this and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with the EEOC moving forward. Just, just what we need in the employment profession and the, and the challenges I know that employers face already today is, is more government oversight, not to take away the importance of any of these uh, agencies and the role that they play in ensuring that we do things right, but the, the compliance aspect is just becoming overwhelming. Uh, and I know it's funny, as I walk through the conference halls, um, there's all kinds of vendors here talking about, you know, take a break, you need a mental break, the HR, uh, out, um, HR um, burnout uh, level is high. Uh, we see people switching jobs, trying to find something that's uh, more suitable for their lifestyle. And much of that has to do with the constant pounding and compliance of regulation on employers. And it just gets to where if you're a single HR person of one for, uh, for an employer, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to be in compliance all the time. And for those that can do it, I'm just, I'm always impressed with their abilities to, to navigate those high waters. There we yes. go. <laughs> Very good segue. Oh, so got so let's move on to our next, our next topic. We've got uh, uh, just in the last day or so, the Department of Homeland Security issued new I-9 uh, forms and rolled out a new alternative for verifying remote workers. The new I-9 form uh, reduces sections one and two from two pages to a single-sided page. No previous fields were removed, but some fields were merged. Section one, the preparer translator certification is relocated to a separate standalone supplement, A, that only requires completion when necessary. Section three, the re-verification and rehire is moved to a separate standalone supplement, B, that employers need only print and complete when utilizing for re-verification and employee's work authorization or rehiring an employee with an existing I-9. It revised the list of acceptable documents page to include some acceptable receipts, as well as guidance and links to I-9 Central containing information on automatic extensions of employment authorization, documentation, and a couple of other uh, significant changes, including that the I-9 is configured as a form fillable on tablets and mobile devices. Yes. So there's uh, there, that's pretty. So, that so is pretty a good, good. That's a good improvement right there in and of itself. Yeah. Employers can utilize the new version for uh, newly completed form I nines from August 1, 2023, moving forward. Although the old form 
uh, can still be used until October 31, 2023. And then very importantly, there's a new alternative that permits remote examination of I-9 documents for quote unquote qualified employers. Uh, we all know that during the COVID-19 pandemic, DHS permitted some flexibilities, temporarily permitting remote and virtual review of identity and employment eligibility documentation during the I-9 process. Uh, even though the COVID flexibilities are phased out, DH, DHS is implementing a permanent alternative to physical inspection of I-9 documents. The new remote inspection option is implemented by a final rule that took effect yesterday. Uh, so there are some requirements for that to become a qualified employer. I'm not gonna go through all of those. The big catch is, is that that is only available to qualified E-Verify employers. So if you wanna participate in the remote uh, viewing and remote examination of documentation, you need to become a qualified uh, employer, which requires that you use E-Verify. Yeah, and nothing that requires you to go back and do anything in addition to um, your current um, employment base. This Correct. is all going forward. Yes, this is all uh, moving forward. So. Uh, another one I want to just uh, quickly mention is that in the last uh, uh, week, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act turned 33 years old. Um, President jo uh, George H.W. Bush signed the ADA on July 26, 1990, and there are nearly 9 million individuals in the United States, 18 to 64, with a disability who were employed in 2021. Those are the latest estimates from the U.S. Census Bureau. So uh, in recognizing this, President Biden issued a proclamation for the 33rd anniversary of the ADA. And uh, he noted that disabled Americans are still three times less likely to have a job and often earn less uh, for doing the same work and just sort of reemphasize uh, the importance of the ADA and, and the significance of it. Yeah. Well, the last one I want to talk about real quickly, Phil, you'll love this one. I don't know if our friend Monique will like it too much, but uh, there are careful, a Bert, of, she's always listening. I know she's not going to like this at all. There's a couple of senators out there. Uh, Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, Democrat from Pennsylvania, and Brian Schatz, Democrat from Hawaii, who introduced the get this one, the quote, no robot bosses act, end quote. And so no what they're trying to bosses. do, yeah, they, other than bringing to mind sort of, uh, you know, some science fiction, uh, some science fiction notions, uh, this bill, the if it would be passed, would essentially prohibit employers' exclusive reliance on automated decision systems, would require pre-deployment and periodic testing and validation of automated, automated decision systems to prevent unlawful biases, would require operational training, would mandate independent human oversight before using the outputs from AI. It would require timely disclosure of use, the data inputs and outputs and employee rights with respect to AI decisions. And it would establish a regulatory agency at the Department of Labor called the Technology and Worker Protection Division. So again, sounds kind of... Uh, uh, futuristic, almost a little dystopian science fiction-y, uh, but just be bear in mind that uh, Congress is, is working on uh, this type of stuff 
to prevent really bias from uh, infiltrating the workplace through artificial intelligence. Yeah, no, it's going to, I think that's going to be a struggle for us all. I mean, it's around, we're surrounded by it all the time anyway. And uh, we got to find ways, I believe my opinion is to embrace this technology and use it in a, a healthy, balanced way. Uh, I hope we don't end up with too much regulation and that doesn't allow us to leverage the benefits that can come from it. Um, I mean, that's all there is to say. I just, where this is going to go, who knows, but hopefully we get benefits from it and not just regulation from it. Good point. Yeah. yeah. That's what I got for you. That's lawyer on the clock. Well, lawyer, welcome back. We're happy to have you. Um, I did forget to get to the uh, poll questions today, Nick. Let's go ahead and get to those poll questions. We have a couple poll questions. The first question is, what is the most difficult conversation you have had at work? We'd like to hear from you in your chat with those. Um, there are several different uh, selections here. Managing conflict between team members, we've all had to do that. Uh, delivering performance improvement plans, uh, firing and layoffs, those are always difficult. Uh, negotiating pay, uh, that can be very difficult uh, normally, depending on how that's done when you actually talk about the formalization of negotiating and then discussing others' personal issues, other personal issues. Uh, Bert, you and I are going to chat a lot about some of those things, so I think they're all relevant uh, questions. And then the second question here is what conversation uh, should be had at the water? What conversation shouldn't be had at the water cooler? politics, personal health, uh, private relationships, religion, personal finances, salary details, gossip, sensitivity, social issues. Bert, I think you will probably have something to say about those selection of items, and we'll get to that when we get into having uh, difficult conversations and sharing some stories with you. So with that, uh, Nick was gracious enough to let you select uh, any that apply, not just a single selection. So thank you for that today, Nick. We appreciate it. How about we go ahead and let's roll Filbert's Forum. You've just entered Filbert's Forum, where we peel the onion back and take a lighter look at the workplace. What's interesting to me about difficult conversations is that we as leaders sometimes struggle with how difficult they can be and what we're going to have to do to have the proper conversations, but they're not always so considerate when they're done at the water cooler, particularly amongst our employees. So I know, Nick, you've done some research and you pulled some very real live examples of conversations at the water cooler. Let's take a look at them. Okay, yes, these are all taken from Twitter, and these are things that were overheard at work, so sometimes is it, it's... Is it Twitter or is it X? Um, yes. Ah, I think it's X. Yes. I think it's X. <laughs> I think yeah. it's whatever somebody wants to, to call it and use the service, I'm sure, is fine for those people at the Twitter X. Quote here, this meeting is going to be so exciting, I just don't want you to soil yourself. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, if you overhear that and you're in management, then it's time for you to have a difficult conversation. All right, Nick, what <laughs> else you got? All right. Uh, I typed your email address wrong. I missed out a letter. Did you get the email? Yeah, now that might lead to a different kind of difficult conversation, one that is probably about competency and doing the job. Because no, you're not going to get the email. Uh, I think I'll be sick next Wednesday and can't come in. Now, now that is a real uh, scenario. I've run into that several times when uh, people have been asked to come into work at times they don't want to come into work. And they say, you know what? I actually think I'm going to be sick that day. I'm not sure I'm going to be here. 
Mm. Yeah. But you do have to ask questions because it could be, hey, I have a procedure the day before or the evening before. Yeah. Uh, good point. And I've already filed my FMLA paperwork. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let's get to the core of our program, the Employer's Lounge. Bert, let's chat a little bit about difficult conversations. Um, I know I get involved with these on several levels. One, I have to have them from time to time with my employees. Not often, but I do. Or my employees have to have them with their employees and I'm coaching. Uh, or our members uh, call and say, hey, I, I have a scenario. Let me tell you a scenario. Um, and, and they are asking for some help. Uh, and then we kind of coach a little bit uh, how to have that conversation, a little different from when I'm uh, advising an employee because I have less insight. Whether it's my employee asking, whether I'm doing the, the uh, difficult conversation or a member is asking is how much or what should I document um, for later? And is it gonna hurt me if I have more documented or is it gonna help me if I have less documented? So Bert, I'd love to just get some insight from you um, if you were giving some uh, suggestive uh, insight to our members and your and, and uh, your clients. How what would you suggest for them with documenting when we're having difficult conversations that are not always leading or a result of discipline? Yeah. So documentation, Phil, from my perspective as a defense counsel, is absolutely key. And, you know, the documentation should be well thought out. It shouldn't be haphazard. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that typically when I have conversations with clients who have to have difficult conversations with their employees, I'll actually work with the client to draft talking points for the meeting itself. And there's a few reasons for that. There, uh, if, if the conversation later became becomes the topic of litigation, I think it's beneficial for the HR person or the, the in-house counsel, whomever it is, to have sort of a record of what they went into the meeting to talk about. Um, if, the, if, if the former employee or the employee who's now a plaintiff several years down the road makes all these allegations about what was discussed during the meeting, you can at least have some documentation to pull out and say, no, this is what I prepared heading into the meeting and we stuck close uh, to these topics or these talking points. That's the front end of it. The back end of it then is really where your question is and, and that's what, what, what we should document from the conversation itself afterwards. And again, I think it's really critical to document uh, pretty much all aspects of the conversation, um, what was discussed, the length of the meeting, who was present, try to get the who, what, where, why, when, and how in there, and uh, have that documentation tell your story. Draft that documentation as if it's going to be exhibit one in trial two or three years down the road. Um, obviously, people's memories are going to be much better when the event happens versus two and three years down the road, and they're going to be better uh, than, than, than those memories that a potential plaintiff's attorney might try to uh, impact uh, two and three years down the road in court. And so if you have documentation to rely upon from those difficult conversations, you will be much better served as an HR representative. And I think, again, it's, we, we want to be very factual in it, uh, trying to focus on those who, what, where, when, why, and how aspects. 
Yeah, and I know uh, in the training programs we've done together, you you always come back to the you know just just outline on a sheet of paper who, what, where, when, how, why, and and just start filling in the blanks um, as it relates to your preparation, and then as it relates to the conversation, and and then that always leads to, well, should I have the person sign it? Uh, should I share it with them? Should they sign it? Um, and I know you'll have some opinions uh, on that. Um, so I'd like to get those from you as well. Yeah, as far as your internal documentation, I don't necessarily know that that needs to be signed, your notes of the conversation, but if there's any sort of formal write-up uh, that flows from the discussion, absolutely, it's best if it's signed. If it's a complaint that somebody's making, I like to try to get the complaint in the individual's writing themselves, have them write it out. Or at a minimum, if you write it out, have them sign it and say that it's true, uh, accurate, and complete, um, and that they've had an opportunity to add or, or delete anything in the statement. So, yeah, when you're when you're having difficult conversations, um, if you can get the, if, like I said, if it's a complaint, try to get it in the individual's writing. If it's not a complaint, but it's going to lead to some sort of disciplinary action, try to get a signature on that. And, you know, I, I have found that um, except in the most hostile situations where somebody absolutely positively refuses to sign, if you have that language on there that says that uh, by my signature below indicates only that I have received this document and this, this right. topic has been discussed with me, it does not mean that I agree with the contents of, of the writing. Um, I, I have found that most people will still sign that, that they understand that they're signing just a receipt of it and not acknowledging that it actually happened, you know, that they engaged in the misconduct. But that's kind of getting a little off topic and more into the discipline uh, realm. Yeah, I have had, um, I just stay in this space a little bit. Uh, I've had a scenario once and, and we'll chat about it here in just a minute where, you know, chatting with someone about, um, and really not a disciplinary issue, but a personal hygiene issue. You know, a person had body odor and looked kind of disheveled coming into work every day and really didn't meet the, the hygiene standard of the organization. And we didn't have a hygiene standard to refer to. It was just that people were complaining about body odor um, from, from an individual. And so we were chatting and, and so on. And then the person said, you know, if you're gonna have any notes on this, I would like a copy of those. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I wasn't, wasn't really issuing discipline. I was trying to help the work environment from, you know, an employee culture and fitting in. It's like, look, I, people are talking about how bad you stink, you don't like that. Um, and what can we do about that? And uh, in the end, I just said, well, you know, I'm just going to have a simple note. I'm going to put in the file that we had the conversation and uh, I agreed to give it to him. But it was, you know, that he understood that, yep, he does have body odor. And yes, that, you know, he can do some things to improve that while he is at the workplace, not to offend other people. Um, but one, very difficult conversation to have, not easy. Uh, and two, I was just caught off guard with, hey, if you're going to have any any notes on this, I want a copy of those. And that kind of gets back into, you know, well, if it's going in the employee file, then they, they do have some rights to that information. Yeah, it, well, in, in some states there are, uh, like Illinois, for example, Illinois employees have a right to the contents of their personnel file upon request. In Missouri, uh, I believe in Indiana and also in Florida, I don't believe they have those same rights. 
uh, like they do in Illinois. But uh, yeah, I, I, I generally think that if you're going to put something in the employee's personnel file and they're aware of it, you know, to me, that documentation is going to come out someday. Uh, and you should be proud to stand behind that documentation. And if an employee asks for a copy of it, I would I would generally give a copy of it. Yeah. So a couple of really difficult conversations I've had, and I just want to share some tips uh, with people as it relates to that. Um, where I found that the most difficult conversations come in is when we're having very personal conversations, sometimes that aren't work-related. So um, having the personal hygiene conversation. Great employee, worked hard. People like the individual. They just didn't want to be too close to the individual. And uh, and that I found to be, you know, really complicated to, you know, to pull the individual aside and talk to them. Right. Um, there's times I know when um, employers have had to talk um, to people about the style of clothes that they wear. Maybe the, the clothes are offensive in one nature or another. And yep. um, back in the day, um, you know, if it was a female and you wanted her to, you know, um, not wear such a loose fitting blouse or something like that, you know, we would always try to have a female talk to her or, you know, uh, that type of sensitivity. And that's about as far as it went from preparation. Uh, today, I, you know, I'm not sure most of us have the right handbook and policies, but it's really about how we prepare in advance to help the person deliver the message. And you kind of alluded to it in the beginning. And it is the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and preparing your notes to that. So when you get into the conversation, you're not necessarily stumbling, stumbling all over what you're trying to say. And then I always suggest to people that let's practice the conversation one time through, um, because you do sometimes end up using um, words that maybe we shouldn't use or having a, an insensitivity when we should have more of a sensitivity to the conversation. Um, I don't know if uh, you get involved in those types of work related issues of, you know, difficulty or not. Um, but in those things, I'm really saying be specific, be clear, be sensitive, have your notes prepared, the who, what, when, why, where, and how. Prepare in advance and practice it. Capture notes while you're having the conversation, you know, and then follow up with the individual, particularly if it's a sensitivity issue like, um, you know, body odor or loose fitting clothes. I've had to share with people about illnesses or deaths of family members, and that's really difficult. Uh, so these types of things, you never know when you're in that HRC, what you're going to have to share and when. So there's no real one way to prepare, but that who, what, when, why, how, Practice, prepare, share, follow up, great tips to have um, when you're dealing with those types of sensitivity issues. Anything else you yeah. would add to any of that, Bert? Yeah, so so Phil, you know, get ready for this. You've heard it, you're, you're hearing it here first on This Week at Work. I am a big fan of PCP, okay? PCP, right. and I'm PCP. not talking about, yeah, I'm not talking about phenocyclidine, the, the drug, I'm talking about sort of uh, praise, counseling praise. Yes. And uh, when you're having difficult conversations with people, and I think this, you know, people just refer it, Bert, as the sandwich. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. you know, for PCP. And, that, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, you know, you start out the meeting with something positive. You get to the meat of the issue, you know, what the, what the conversation's really about. And then you try to end on a positive note as well. Sometimes I'll call it positive 
counseling positive or praise counseling praise uh something like that and and that's right it's it's like a sandwich and you try to try to put the the negative in between you know a couple of positive pieces doesn't always work you don't always have the opportunity to do that when someone's coming into your office to have a difficult conversation with you uh you're you're sort of being caught off guard and so uh you you may not have the opportunity to formulate something like that but if you're the one going out and having that difficult conversation with somebody uh just in the the example you gave of the individual who had the uh body odor you know you can walk out there have the conversation and start out with hey i want to talk to you about something serious um i want you to know you're you're a good employee you produce quality work but there is an issue that's causing uh problems in the workplace you then address it and then you end with that let's figure out how we could remedy this together so that you remain a great productive employee who continues to produce that quality work and try to end on that positive note yeah no i think that that's an important part of it uh, and particularly ending with look people people really like the individual they just didn't want to sit next to them at the lunch table and they didn't want to work next to them on the production line um due to the body odor and, and you know obviously before it ever came to my attention they wanted to know you know they're like maybe it's a health issue maybe there's all kinds of reasonings that it could be and it you know really just came out to be the fact um, when you broke it down the guy actually was working out before he came to work but not showering and by one two o'clock in the afternoon it caught up with him and he goes you know he goes I was hoping nobody noticed, um, but I, you know, and, and he corrected the problem right away, but it was very- but Little, little overripe by 1 p.m., huh? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it was a ripe banana by then, that's for sure. But it, uh, you know, it's, those are really converse, but it, you have to prepare, you have to praise, I think you have to do all those things that we were talking about, but in the end, you do have to give very clear, precise yes. feedback to the individual, and I think that's an, an important piece on that. Agree, Phil. And you get to that meat of the conversation where you're counseling and there's positive counseling and negative counseling. It's just it's counseling. And uh, the, the one thing I would say is, you know, to, to people is try not to be too passive aggressive when you get to that counseling piece. You want to be direct, like yeah. Phil, Phil, you just said, you want to be very clear, very precise about what the issue is. And, uh, you know, passive aggressiveness leads to some ambiguity and uh, I, I, I have found that, uh, you know, people, people would rather uh, have a clear understanding of what the expectation is moving forward rather than, you know, some passive aggressive, uh, um, imprecise uh, remedy to the problem. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing I have found is for our listeners is pay attention to those young leaders and managers we have. And when they're having those conversations, because we still know statistically most, most leaders, managers, supervisors have not had any formal training or development in this space. And, it, you know, you can go a long way by going out. And I would like to say, go out and put your arm around them and, and give them some advice but we'll uh, that wouldn't be pc today but you know you want to go out and give them you know look after them give them the advice let them practice it they'll be very thankful for it even for those who appear to be most confident confident doesn't always give a, a good conversation 
uh, from that standpoint. And I tell you what, I love being out here. It's a lot of great. I don't know if you can hear the thunder in the background, but I'm starting to get rained on. Uh, <laughs> here, here comes the rain. So we're going to have to wrap this show up for today. Uh, Bert, thanks. I'm happy to have you back. I hope everyone uh, has joined us from around the Midwest and our new members down in Florida. We're happy to have you listening to the program coming to you live from Lake of the Ozarks. We'll see you back here next week at 7.30 Central Time. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for tuning in to This Week at Work. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your colleagues. Forward our invites. Share the link aimea.org forward slash this week at work or follow or subscribe wherever you get your news and entertainment like LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever where you are. And you can be part of the show. Send your questions and comments anytime to info at thisweek.work. We'll see you next week, 7.30 a.m. Central Time when we discuss what's happening this week at work.